remember their valor and gallantry. Inscription on the Westminster Abbey Victoria Cross and George Cross Memorial. Hey folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast episode 9, Psalm Valor on the Battlefield. Quick admin note, listener Tim Tiger pointed out that on episode 7 in the 30th Division's fight for the Briquetterie factory ruins near Montauban, it was the 20th King's Liverpool Regiment that took the site, not the Manchester Pals. Thank you, Tim. We're here to do this and uh, do this right, and we aim to be accurate. So, greatly appreciate the corrections. Thank you. Um, We're veering from the narrative just a little bit to highlight some of the extraordinary acts of courage, leadership, and valor that were done on the 1st of July, 1916, by men of the British Expeditionary Forces, 4th Army on the Somme. Nine men won the Victoria Cross during the first day of the Battle of the Somme. Four of them came from the 36th Ulster Division that attacked at Tiepval. Each man awarded the United Kingdom's highest award for, quote, acts of extreme bravery carried out under direct enemy fire, end quote, was justly due to be recognized as having met their requirements. But we will provide highlight on just four of these men. I've chosen these men because their actions have resonated with me in a certain way. But first, let's talk about the Victoria Cross. For us Yanks and Sammies, the Victoria Cross is the equivalent of our Medal of Honor. The Victoria Cross was first created on the 29th of January, 1856, at the tail end of the Crimean War by then Queen Victoria and Prince Albert for the above-mentioned acts of extreme bravery carried out under direct enemy fire. The VC was created with the idea of it being awarded to any soldier or sailor of any rank. In contrast, Imperial Germany's highest military award, the Pour les Merites, was almost exclusively reserved for upper echelon officers. The Victoria Cross from 1856 on to this day, is made of the bronze from a Russian field gun captured during the Crimean War. That bronze is still used today, and there is enough of it left to make about 80 more medals. The cross itself is a simple design, and it is simple on purpose. The cross's shape is similar to that of the German Iron Cross. And many military medals, even today, seem to share that same general shape and design. Over the cross is the British Lion, 
above the crown. And below the crown is a draped banner with the words, For Valor. The medal is affixed to the metal strip on a ribbon. And on the back of the ribbon's metal strip, the name of the VC's recipient will be stamped. The metal itself, as it is made of bronze, is not very expensive in itself. Of course, what it stands for is something that cannot be measured in the weight or value of the metal it is made of. During World War I, 628 Victoria Crosses were awarded, the highest amount before and since the war. In World War II, the UK would award the Victoria Cross a total of 182 times. The Victoria Cross is Britain's highest award for valor on the battlefield. Like the American Medal of Honor, you would have to go way above and way beyond the call of duty to be considered for this medal. Like the American Medal of Honor, the acts required to be awarded the VC bring with it the high likelihood that it will be awarded posthumously. So, what drove these four Victoria Cross recipients to carry out their deeds of extraordinary gallantry on that fateful day of July 1st, 1916? For the four men we are visiting in this episode, I think what drove them forward was one very specific emotion. It wasn't just courage, devotion, selflessness, honor. All of those feelings stem from this one feeling, I believe. I have no doubt the remaining five VC recipients of that day felt this as well on some level. We'll come back to this at the end. Of the four men we'll highlight today, three were members of the 36th Ulster Division. The fourth man was Major Stuart Loden Shand, commander of B Company, 10th Battalion, the Princess of Wales-owned Yorkshire Regiment. Known as the Green Howards, the battalion was part of the 21st Division attacking at Fricor on that first day of July. The 10th Green Howards were part of the second wave attacking that fateful morning in support of 63rd Brigade's attack north of the Tambor position. As we covered in Episode 7, the 63rd Brigade's attack went to ground under the devastating fire of a few well-sighted German machine guns. When it came time for the 10th Green Howards to go over the top, the machine gun fire and probably the sight of so many men before them, having been mowed down, made it difficult for the men to leave the scant safety of their trench. Major Lodenshand, born in Sri Lanka into a well-off tea merchant family, was in his mid-thirties and was a veteran of the Boer War. Between the wars he had worked in business, both outside and in his family's tea company. When war had started in 1914, he had rushed home to enlist and was commissioned a lieutenant in the 10th Green Howards. The Green Howards service at the Battle of Luce in September 1915 
saw the battalion's colonel and majors killed, and Loden Shen was promoted to temporary major and a company command. Here now, in the trenches opposite Free Corps, he saw that the men, his men, weren't moving. Was it because of the heavy enemy fire, or just plain fear? Fear of ending like the men who had gone before them. To Loden Shan, it made no difference. The only way out was through. And now was the time to be the leader he was supposed to be. The citation for Loden Shan's Victoria Cross would be published in the London Gazette of September 9th, 1916, and it read as follows. For most conspicuous bravery, when his company attempted to climb over the parapet to attack the enemy's trenches, they were met by very fierce machine gun fire, which temporarily stopped their progress. Major Lodenshan immediately leapt on the parapet, helped the men over it, and encouraged them in every way until he fell mortally wounded. Even then, he insisted on being propped up in the trench and went on encouraging the non-commissioned officers and men until he died. Lodenshan knew he would have to set the example for his men. So to show them not just that the men would have to go over the top to do their duty, but also to show them that they would not do it alone, he climbed over the top and stood on the trench parapet. Bullets were zipping by everywhere, a hornet's nest of fire. But calmly, Lodenshan reached down and began helping men up the ladders, encouraging them through all the noise and terror. I can imagine looking up at him in all of that noise, with dirt and flames in the summer sky behind him and taking his offered hand. This was leadership of the highest order. As Lodenshan continued to help his men, the Green Howards who did go over the top were taking heavy casualties. Men were dropping everywhere. Within minutes, their trenches were filled with the dead and dying. It didn't take long for the Major himself to be struck by the enemy's hail of bullets. His men propped him up against the trench wall, and he went on motivating his men until his soul departed for the next life. Of the 122 men of B Company, 10th Green Howards, who went over the top that brilliant summer's morning, only 28 remained on duty at the end of the day. King George V himself awarded the Victoria Cross to Major Lodenshan's father on the 31st of March, 1917. Across from Schwaben Riedau, near Tietval village to the north of Freecorps, Private Billy McFadgen and the men of the 14th Battalion of the Royal Irish Rifles, belonging to the 109th Brigade of the 36th Ulster Division, were priming grenades for the day's upcoming work. They were in a trench known as Elgin Avenue, just behind the front lines in Tietval Wood and across from where Schwaben Riedau sat. In less than an hour, the British were to lift their bombardment of Schwaben Redoubt to the northeast, 
but already the Germans were raining iron on Tietval Wood. Billy McFadgen hailed from Lurgan in Armagh County, Northern Ireland. Still several months shy of his 21st birthday, McFadgen was a bomber in the Young Citizens Battalion, as the 14th Battalion was known. Being a bomber meant he'd had some extra training in the use of hand grenades. Now, as shells wailed into Teepval Wood, McFadgen was on detail arming grenades for the assault that was three quarters of an hour away. The trenches were crowded, packed with men who were either on McFadgen's detail with him or were getting ready to go over the top. The grenades were being primed, having pins inserted to make them live, and then placed in crates with rope handles. It's thought that maybe some of those rope handles were cut to make passing the crates into and out of the trench easier. Billy opened a box of grenades on the parapet. However it came to happen isn't known. It was dark. It was crowded. There were shells coming in. It was chaos in those trenches. But Billy's box overturned. Grenades spilled onto the trench floor. Billy immediately saw that the pins had come out of two of those grenades. That meant they were active now. Their four-second fuses had been ignited by the pins having come out. Four seconds, and Billy and everyone around him would be killed. The London Gazette, printed the 9th of September, 1916. For most conspicuous bravery, while in a concentration trench and opening a box of bombs for distribution prior to an attack, when the box slipped down into the trench, which was crowded with men, and two of the safety pins fell out. Private McFadgen, instantly realizing the danger to his comrades, with heroic courage, threw himself on top of the bombs. The bombs exploded, blowing him to pieces, but only one other man was injured. He well knew the danger, being himself a bomber, but without a moment's hesitation, he gave his life for his colleagues. Private Billy McFadgen was indeed killed instantly. Some men later claimed he was blown to pieces, which was the story that went into the Gazette. A Private Gillespie next to McFadgen was severely wounded and later lost a leg. But Billy, by throwing himself on at least two live grenades, extended the life of many of his comrades by a few more hours. Sadly, many of those same men would not live to see the sun set that day. But Billy McFadgen had made a supreme sacrifice for the men around him, and for it, he was posthumously awarded the Victoria Cross. When King George later presented the medal to Billy's father on the 28th of February, 1917, he is recorded as having said, I have very great pleasure in presenting to you the Victoria Cross for your son, the late Private McFadgen. I deeply regret that he did not live to receive it personally, 
but I am sure you are proud of your son. Nothing finer has been done in this war for which I have yet given the Victoria Cross than the act performed by your son in giving his life so heroically to save the lives of his comrades. In the ensuing storm of shot and shell that scoured, plowed, and tore the psalm land asunder, Billy McFadgen's remains were never recovered. His name is commemorated on the Teepval Memorial today. And in 2014, his death penny, a bronze coin given to every family of a deceased soldier of the Great War, revisited the battlefield. At the northwestern edge of Teepval Wood, on a line straight east from the position of Billy McFadgen's 14th Battalion Royal Irish Rifles, the men of the 9th Royal Inniskilling Fusiliers went over the top at 7.30 and busted through the German lines all the way to Schwaben Redoubt and beyond. In the infantry assault that morning was temporary Captain Eric Bell, all of 20 years old, but commanding the trench mortar battery of the 109th Brigade. Eric, the youngest of three sons who all served in the 9th Royal Inniskilling Fusiliers, along with their father, the regimental adjutant, was a former college student who'd signed up as soon as war was declared. A good student with an interest in linguistics and music, he'd been known as an even-keeled young man who was known for, quote, being reserved and unpretentious, end quote. It was when enfilading machine gun fire stopped an assault at Schwaben Redoubt that this quiet young man, hardly more than a grown boy, took it upon himself to lead his men. Again, we refer to the London Gazette as taken from Gerald Glidden's excellent book, VCs of the First World War, Psalm 1916. For most conspicuous bravery, he was in command of a trench mortar battery and advanced with the infantry in attack. When our front line was hung up by enfilading machine gun fire, Captain Bell crept forward and shot the machine gunner. Later, on no less than three occasions, when our bombing parties, which were clearing the enemy's trenches, were unable to advance, he went forward alone and threw trench mortar bombs among the enemy. When he had no more bombs available, he stood on the parapet under intense fire and used a rifle with great coolness and effect on the enemy advancing to counterattack. Finally, he was killed, rallying and reorganizing infantry parties which had lost their officers. All this was outside the scope of his normal duties with his battery. He gave his life in his supreme devotion to duty. Captain Bell Sr., Eric's father, received his son's Victoria Cross on November 29, 1916, at Buckingham Palace. Bell Sr.'s two surviving sons were both heavily wounded during the Great War, but both survived. Eric Bell's body, like so many thousands of others, was never recovered. His name is written in stone on the columns 
of the Tietval Memorial. Moving north to the 108th Brigade, 36th Ulster Division, we come to the only man highlighted today who lived to wear his Victoria Cross. Private Robert Quigg was 31 years old in 1916 and in civilian life, a farmhand at the McNaughton Estate in Ardahanan, Northern Ireland. When war broke out, he'd signed up with the 12th Battalion of the Royal Irish Rifles as an enlisted man. The oldest of the estate master's sons, a young Sir Harry McNaughton, became a second lieutenant in Quigg's company. Quigg eventually became his assistant. The 12th Central Antrim Battalion attacked towards Beaucourt Station, but heavy machine gun fire from Saint-Pierre-de-Vion village inflicted staggering casualties. Quigg's platoon advanced three separate times into no man's land and chaos, blood, and murder. But each time, young Sir Harry McNaughton rallied his men and pushed towards the German wire. It was in these attacks that Robert Quigg was separated from his platoon leader and made it back to his side's trenches. It was in these attacks that young Sir Harry was known to have been cut down. Quigg never seemed to hesitate about his next move. In fact, he never seemed to really think about it. From the London Gazette, for most conspicuous bravery, he advanced to the assault with his platoon three times. Early next morning, hearing a rumor that his platoon officer was lying out wounded, he went seven times to look for him under heavy shell and machine gun fire, each time bringing back a wounded man. The last man he dragged in on a waterproof sheet from within a few yards of the enemy's wire. He was seven hours engaged in this most gallant work, and finally was so exhausted he had to give it up. Young Sir Harry McNaughton's body was never recovered. Two and a half months later, McNaughton's younger brother would be killed leading a platoon at Deffield Wood. But Private Quigg had saved the lives of seven wounded men under heavy fire and punishing physical conditions. It was a superhuman act. Robert Quigg survived the war and died in 1955, still living on the McNaughton estate. So, what drove these men forward that day? What drove forward the other men whom we didn't mention? Drummer Ritchie, Corporal Sanders, Sergeant Turnbull, Lieutenant Cather, and Captain Green. I think it was ultimately love. I'm not trying to romanticize this battle in any way. The attacks of the 1st of July, 1916 were horrific for their scale of loss, but also because they were attacks, man killing his fellow man. But amidst all that horror, I have to think that some of the actions were carried out out of love for one's fellow soldiers. 
They were carried out because they simply loved the man to their left and their right. Their pals. What else would drive Major Loden Shan to the parapet of his company's trench? To stand there fully exposed to the enemy and to set the example for his men. I know this is terrifying and you're scared, his actions said. But I am here with you. You are not alone. You can do this. Why did Private Billy McFadgen jump on the grenades with no hesitation? Because of an intensely urgent impulse to protect those around him. That impulse to protect has to come from love. Why did Captain Eric Bell move forward, take charge, and eventually take on the Germans on his own? His leadership spoke, I will make this better. It is my duty to lead my men and protect them from the enemy. I will do that. I will do that because I love my men. Why did Private Quigg continuously run out to no man's land to look for his master's son? It was love. Love for a boy he'd probably watched grow up on the farm where he worked. So, kind of went off, definitely veered off from the narrative there, but I just wanted to take a step to the side and look at some of the men who took part in the Battle of the Somme and maybe just kind of look into why they did what they did. But next time, for real this time, we're going to pick it up on July 2nd, 1916, where we left the story off. So if you have enjoyed the podcast so far, please consider reviewing it on iTunes. The more reviews, the more visible the podcast becomes, and that helps get more and more folks involved. Also, if you would like to help support the podcast with a financial contribution to help run and maintain it, there is a PayPal button right on the website where you can make a donation of your choice. The website is firstworldwarpodcast.com. I'd like to thank everyone who has already contributed. All right. Any questions, comments, or concerns, please don't hesitate to contact me at verdunpodcast at gmail.com. Or hit me up through the website, firstworldwarpodcast.com, or the Battles of the First World War podcast page on the Facebook or on the Twitter at at World War One podcast. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Battles of the First World War podcast. Talk to you again soon. Take care. <laughs>